0: Do logistical challenges still remain for the bullion market and what would happen to premiums on coins? Joining me today is Ruth Quill, CEO of the LBMA, to discuss these challenges. Ruth, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure speaking with you today.
1: Thank you so much, David. I'm, I'm really happy to be here.
0: Let's uh, talk about um, logistical and uh, and the, the challenges surrounding the physical market. But before we get into that, Can you give us a brief overview of the LBMA, the London bullion market, and sort of the origins and the uh, mission statement of the LBMA?
1: Sure, so LBMA is the world's independent authority for precious metals. And really our mission is advancing standards for the common good of the global industry. So we have three major standards um, in terms of what is called good delivery, and that's all about physical quality of the metal. our global precious metals code, which covers ethics of trading, and then responsible sourcing, which is about setting standards in terms of the sourcing of the metal itself. The other thing we also provide for the industry is solutions when there are challenges to the market. And I think your your point on logistics is certainly one of them that we've seen this year, and we continue to get questions about.
0: Okay, so let's start with the logistics first before we talk about the standards. COVID obviously was, A phenomenon that impacted all markets, not just the gold and silver markets, but in particular, in regards to the bullion market, how severe was the impact on the transportation of the physical uh, bullion market this year? As lockdowns happened across the world, analysts were worried that uh, transportation problems were the main cause of the supply crunch that we saw. Was that true?
1: So I think there was a lot of perception of challenges to logistics. However, the record stocks in both London and New York for gold are a testament to the logistic companies following through on that delivery. Um, one of the jobs of LBMA, as I mentioned, in terms of solutions and acting as a point of contact for the local London market was really to try to get facts um, out there in terms of questions like refiner capacity, um, challenges to logistics, so that people could, could trade um, and operate from the the truth of what was going on as opposed to just what was in the media um, and certainly that's something that we continue to do as we sort of look forward into perhaps challenges in the winter um, as well as Brexit coming up in the UK mm-hmm.
0: yeah we're gonna talk about Brexit in just a bit stocks in New York and London were uh, were still high how is that possible Ruth how were they able to restock their inventory
1: but well. I would say during March and April, as I said, gold tends to have some logistical problems, which I think we talked about too. And the reason for that is a lot of people don't know that gold travels on passenger airline. So if people aren't moving, then there's less gold moving. So if there's less flights, there's less opportunities. And that was probably one of the major challenges. I would also say, um, you know, London is very much a physical market and certainly the 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 amount of gold held there, it's currently $560 US dollars underneath the streets, um, is a testament to that. New York doesn't tend to have the same physical stocks um, to the extent that London does, but this year has been an exception. Um, You have seen enormous amounts of material coming in, um, and and that's been reflected in the numbers.
0: Yeah, one thing we've seen this year was premiums for uh, bullions and coins, particularly silver coins. Uh, is just one example. Premiums really rose as the supply of the bullion uh, diminished as several factors weighted. I mean, what were some of the factors behind the supply crunch? You mentioned logistical challenges. Uh, What else? Was that the main reason, you think?
1: Um, I would also say, you know, like we tend to see very much on the wholesale side of things, but certainly in terms of some of the comments on the retail and the coin that you mentioned is that a lot of refiners and producers were focusing on core business items. So they weren't making the whole variety of sweets in terms of the products that they would normally make because they're having to function on on major points. So taking decisions with gold to make just London good delivery bars and sort of pausing some of the um some of the production of other materials. So certainly those aspects had a hit on the retail market, Um, but we certainly on a wholesale, we didn't see those um, same impacts.
0: Yeah, I think uh, what some retail investors and uh, uh, buyers of metals are interested in knowing now is that as uh, Europe and London go back into another round of lockdowns, as COVID cases Mm -hmm. rise, Can we possibly see the same problems emerge again? I mean, premiums have come back down to near normal levels, but people are wondering and worried that they might they might spike again the premiums.
1: Well, you know, certainly it's something we we talk about in terms of potential market disruptions. And, you know, part of our role in terms of being that point of contact for the infrastructure providers here in London is talking to the vaults and the carriers about how are you ready? And certainly ready for COVID challenges, but also ready for Brexit challenges. And I think the, the overwhelming response has been they're very prepared. Um, and in some ways, having had the challenges of the pandemic in March and April has made the market more resilient to those challenges up ahead. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, I think something people would worry about is we're all faced with pandemic fatigue, dare I say. Um, but you know, certainly in terms of the professionals who are looking after the stocks and the carry of material. That is not the case. I think they are, they're ready um, and taking steps in place to, to ensure that service to clients is smooth.
0: Has the LBMA uh, worked with the mints around the world at all? Uh, have you heard from the mints, the Perth Mint, for example, or the U.S. Mint about corn production and meeting the um, extra demand that we've seen in 2020? So
1: we're in touch with some of the mints, particularly the ones that are also accredited by us as good delivery refiners. So the Royal Mint, Perth Mint, these, these are the uh, Royal Canadian Mint as well. All of these are accredited by LBMA. So we're certainly in touch with them um, in terms of their supply to the wholesale. In terms of stocks, in terms of coins, I think it's more of a question for them directly. But okay. I, I think anyone who's wishing to sell these materials has certainly worked hard to make sure that it's available um, for investors who want to purchase and getting ready for the the further demand that may be ahead.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Brexit, so let's talk about the market impact of Brexit.
1: I think that in terms of Brexit, ultimately, um, as I said, the the market has got a lot of resilience because of the challenges in March and April. So when we look at Brexit, ultimately there'll be no change in UK law. So the smooth functioning of the wholesale market here will continue. there are some concerns people would raise about well, what about the border in the cases of hard Brexit. Gold, we expect to be prioritized because of its high value and the fact that it's coming in on passenger planes. Um, but if there were to be any disruption, we would work with the carriers and the vaults as we did in March and April to make sure that is smooth. Um, but again, that's not expected for gold. It could be more a case for silver because that's transported by. You know, freight in terms of coming across the border. It's really to set people's minds at ease that as it's been a long journey getting us to Brexit, um, that industry players have taken it very seriously in getting ready, not just in terms of the logistics providers, but also, let's say, some of our members who are are banks and providing services to clients in Europe. Many of them have set up European entities in order to make sure that that service is
0: smooth. Well, I know so that. So it's, a, it's yeah. sort of
1: not a, not a concern, as it were, but okay. it's certainly something we want to make sure that people are confident that um, people have prepared adequately.
0: Well, I know that some financial institutions are considering, if not already in the works of moving their headquarters away from London in the wake of Brexit. Uh, I wonder if the uh, storage facilities for bullions uh, in, in, in London are thinking of doing the same thing. Can London still maintain its status as one of the preeminent vaults? Uh, storage facilities in the world?
1: I think absolutely. And and part of that is because I know a lot of the thinking when the, the vote happened um, you know, a few years ago and caught by surprise, really all, all the market players and infrastructure providers went through various scenarios in terms of what would be the most efficient approach, both for themselves as well as clients. And I think ultimately the unique thing with precious metals is you do have the the security, the vaulting side of things, which is is crucial. So one, having that expertise and having those facilities is costly as well as difficult to replicate. I think the other thing I would say, which is unique certainly to the London setup is the involvement of the Bank of England vault. Um, The bank got involved 300 years ago when when the market was originally set up, when gold traded much more explicitly as a currency. Um, and they continue to have two thirds of the gold vaulted in London is still um, in their vault there on Threadneedle Street. So, yes, it's potential, but it's, it's very unlikely. And, and I would certainly say the commercial players, having gone through their own um, research to, to consider that, have ultimately decided that they're going to stay here. In
0: the UK. Okay. Let's talk about your market outlook on gold um, as a commodity recently. And by recently, I mean the last several months, actually, gold has been trending downwards ever since hitting all-time highs in August. I think the concern from a lot of investors is whether or not gold is maintaining its safe haven asset status in the wake of this decline in prices. What do you think?
1: I think gold performed exactly as it should as a safe haven asset. So compared to 2019, the price for 2020 is is up 22%, and if you compare that to the S&P 500, which is up 13.3%. So gold is done exactly as it should, act as an insurance product during difficult times. I think what you mentioned in terms of some of the profit taking that we saw in early November is to be expected given the high price, but I also think it's, you know, some of the movements that we've seen this month has really indicated how gold responds in terms of the fears and hope of the world. And if you looked at the news of when the Pfizer vaccine was announced between November 8th and 9th, you almost immediately saw a 4% drop in the price as we all yes. became a lot more hopeful in terms of the outlook for the future, both from a political but as well as an economic standpoint. So certainly gold has, uh, I think, performed absolutely as a safe haven. I would also, you know, there's some some points in terms of Asia, what's happening in Asia. I think in terms of 2020, we haven't seen the demand that we've had previously. Happy to report that analysts, um, in terms of who are based out there, are very bullish for 2021 okay. and that you should see a return to,
0: to Asia. Yeah, I'm curious as to how they've made that judgment. If you were to consider gold as an insurance play, as a safe haven asset, as you described it. And if you were to consider that, uh, like you said, the vaccines and the works are being rolled out and we see less risk going into Mm -hmm. 2021, uh, could you not expect more profit-taking, Ruth?
1: It depends on which investors you're talking about. So Mm -hmm. for Western investors, you would expect some profit-taking, particularly as hopefully we're headed towards the light at what's been a long tunnel um, in terms of the world. But if you turn to Asia, you know, cases have been down for a while. Um, and certainly, when gold prices are higher, you tend to have less physical demand. Um, you did have a lot of selling coming out of the Chinese as well as the Indian lockdowns, partly because people consider gold, you save it for a rainy day. And certainly with COVID, we believe that rainy day came.
0: Okay, perfect. Let's talk about the standards of the LBMA now. This is an interesting subject. Uh, you've, well, the LBMA has addressed standards that uh, countries with large gold markets have to comply with. Can you tell us about some of these standards and uh, what they mean in terms of regulating uh, uh, flows, regulating sourcing, money laundering, illegal activities, and so on?
1: Sure, let me first talk about say our core standard, which is good delivery. And then maybe I can take you on to what we're trying to do on the international bullion center work. So in terms of good delivery, ultimately we've been looking after this list for over 27 years, like since our inception but ultimately the the list goes back to 300 years to the beginning of the market itself. And it was originally done by the Bank of England. And in really that list is the list of those brands that are acceptable in local London, the world's largest physical market for gold. So what that means is that to be on our list as a refiner, it's not a nice to have or something you do from a branding perspective. For anyone who's producing bars in the professional market, It's a necessity so they need to be listed in order to sail to london as well as in other jurisdictions who recognize that list because it's truly a a, the the international gold standard Mm -hmm. so that's sort of first thing to understand about that aspect um the second in terms of the responsible sourcing side of life and you know news we've talked about with the international bullion centers So we've been running our other standard I mentioned, which is responsible sourcing since 2012. So what we basically did is extend the scope of good delivery to say it's not just about purity anymore. You've also got to prove it's been responsibly sourced. And we made that mandatory for the refiners on our list. Um, And that's meant that the 92% of all the gold that's mined that goes through our refineries has been meeting international standards when it comes to responsible sourcing.
0: Okay. I know that earlier in November, the LBMA has issued statements regarding the UAE and potentially uh, banning gold uh, from UAE from entering the market. Can you, can you describe uh, the circumstance around that?
1: Well, first, a correction, because we did not um, mention anything specific to a country. We okay. actually mentioned 12 jurisdictions Um, or centers around the world who have large markets of recycled gold. So our International Bullion Centers Initiative is really starting a call for advancing standards globally. Um, And our mission really is to work collaboratively and collectively to advance these standards for the common good of the global market. Um, And that continues to be the case. So, so far, in terms of the reaction to that work, it has been overall very positive mm-hmm. um, and we're looking forward in the new year to talk about how we can work together to address some of these issues that face us as an industry as a whole. Uh,
0: when you say that the uh, the, the uh, bullying has to be responsibly sourced, what exactly do you mean by that? Can you define um, how responsibly sourced should be, uh, should be measured?
1: Yeah, um, so we basically t- take part in the OECD um, guidance when it comes to responsible mineral sourcing and meeting their requirements. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we did is draft something specific in terms of those management systems that are recognized, not just by LBMA but by all OECD countries and other adhering countries as to what responsibility looks like for a refiner. Um, And and that's what we've rolled out across the industry. And we've also done that for silver. Um, We've had our final round of implementation Um, on on silver as well. And in the past um, year, we've had our first round of audits bringing the ESG factor in. So we expanded the scope. Originally it was about money laundering, just threat financing generally, um, terrorist financing as well as human rights. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we also put in requirements to address the environmental environmental sustainability and governance issues. Um, And that's something as I look forward to next year that we think we can use that unique leverage of LBMA to support some of the good work of our colleagues at the ICMM, as well as the World Goal Council, in terms of really defining what responsible um, ESG looks like for precious metals.
0: Do the standards affect uh, specific corporate entities as well? Let's say where if a miner were to operate in, let's say, a jurisdiction like the Democratic Republic of Congo, where conflict mm-hmm. minerals is a big issue, uh, would the LBMA have any um, authority over uh, how, how that is sourced?
1: So, any material that's been going into one of our refineries, which does include flows from almost everywhere in the world, we actually published a report in September, which I'd encourage you to have a look at, sure. which made public for the first time in terms of down to the gram where all the gold and silver is coming from, and also where we were able to identify the destination country in terms of where it's being refined. And that was really interesting in terms of having this overall picture of the flows. Um, And it's something that we're going to continue to improve on. One of the things that came out of that was really looking at the percentages of what type of material, because we asked for the gold and silver, but we also asked it to be broken down on type of material. So whether it's large scale mined or recycled gold or artisanal small scale mining, and actually 55% of all the gold that was being refined was recycled. Um, We we thought that was particularly important given some of the challenges and
0: responses. Basically, I think investors would like to know if uh, there are any particular jurisdictions or corporate entities that are close to being blacklisted so they can avoid them. (laughs) Can you comment on that?
1: So I think ultimately, the message we want to get across is we're here for collaboration and and continuous engagement. Obviously, um, if those diplomatic processes break down, then we do reserve the right to take action. Um, But it's an ongoing process, which you can imagine we're not just liaising with industry, but also um, with governmental bodies around the world. So when we have more to report, we will, um, but we're really relying on those national authorities to to make their public statements.
0: I I look forward to following up on those reports. Finally, um, ESG, can you comment on the global ESG movement, how that affects the industry, how industries are, uh, how companies, uh, corporate entities are complying and the effects on the market?
1: What I would say is I think the challenge with ESG is to have to speak with a common voice on this. And like I I mentioned, there's some really great steps forwards from ICMM and the World Gold Council. Um, But we do, as you rightly point out, look beyond gold as well in terms of what's happening on PGMs uh, on the silver side. And I, I think what would be really valuable in the next year is looking where we can consolidate and coordinate some of these standards and audit processes so that certainly investors can understand what's a high credible standard um, and how that's being applied as well as enforced when it comes to LBMA.
0: Okay, perfect. Ruth, that was a fantastic talk. I appreciate you coming on the show today with your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for watching Kiko News. I'm David Lin.